Welcome to Conceptions and Misconceptions in the Gospels with Dr. Dan Gertner. I'm your host, Tyler Sanders, and today we're reading the Transfiguration. So that puts us in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. Uh, would you like to start us off, Dr. Gertner? Sure. Yeah. And looking at each of these passages, as we've seen in other passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have them, and they all present them in uh, similar enough ways that you can see it's pretty clearly the same yeah. thing, but they have them in their own wording. Yeah. And I think the, one of the things that's unique about set this passage is, uh, and you and I chatted a little bit about this beforehand, that, that's, that's puzzling, is what on earth is happening to Jesus? Mm. Why all of a sudden is he like radiant and glowing. Yeah. And what are, what are readers supposed to take from this? So I kind of like to start with, yeah. What do you think? I mean, there are some other, many other things we can go at about this that we've yeah. chatted about. And so let me just kind of throw you to the wolves Yeah. and sort of say, what do, what do you think you get from this? What do you think readers are trying to, what do you think the gospel authors are trying to say to the readers about, What's happening with Jesus? Well, one of the things we've talked about a lot in previous episodes is that a big question in the Gospels is, uh, or maybe it's not the question, maybe it's the answer to this question of who is Jesus? Like, who, uh, you know, we're really, a lot of these things uh, were the miracles we see, um, the parables, a lot of stuff is leaning into identifying Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. So there's, and there's all these different ways that they, they do that. So that, that's definitely um, operating here, but this one is a little bit more. Um, I, I don't explicit is probably not quite the right word, but it's kind of out front. There's kind of this amazing, like really amazing thing that happens where, uh, yeah, he's he's. I, I'm looking at in, in Luke right now. His clothing is dazzling white. Mark describes it as like radiant, intense, so much that no one could bleach them to be that white. So he has a different appearance. He meets Elijah and Moses in all these accounts. And then uh, uh, we, we get the the voice in the cloud that's saying, you know, really a very explicit identification of Jesus as, um, in Luke, it says, my son, the chosen one, or my son, my chosen one. And and beloved son in Matthew and Mark. So it, it's a little bit more, it seems like some of the passages we've looked at, you kind of, the, the, the people, uh, the disciples, whoever it is, they see something amazing and it's, and it's left to be like, obviously this has to be the son of God. But in this one, it's like, yeah, this is it. God says, this is my son, which that's a fascinating switch. I think. It is. It is. And you're really on to it. And th that's really essential as we, you know, we've been harping on this throughout that the gospels are always about Jesus and we always want to move right to application. But let's stop and see what this is about. This is saying something about Jesus. Now, you, you and you're on to something that we're seeing things about Jesus that we've not seen before. And the, the question is, well, what are we supposed to do with that? We see that Jesus is, and, and looking at all three accounts, we see that this is several days after the previous events. Matthew and Mark say after six days. Luke mm -hmm. says about eight days after these things. So Luke's giving us an approximation. And Peter, James, and John 
So these are the closest disciples, oh, and we yeah. see these throughout the yeah. the uh, the Gospels. They go up to a mountain, and Luke says, went up the mountain to pray, and Luke mm-hmm. often has prayer. Prayer is an important thing for Luke, so we see a mm-hmm. distinctive emphasis. And, and then this change happens, and, and the English word transfigured just means he looked different. And and that's the, really what the Greek means too. There was a change in his appearance. Yeah. But again, what what does it mean that Jesus looked different? Yeah. So what what are we as readers supposed to take from that? And what are we as readers supposed to take that all of a sudden Moses and Elijah? I thought those guys were dead. Sure, yeah. So are we supposed to think that they've somehow come back from the dead? What's going on here? So let, let me try to unpack instead of just yeah. sort of throwing you to the wolves here of <laughs> what's going on. And and Luke Luke sort of helps us to see, and there are several different interpretations of this, and I think the best one is to see that uh, the the answer key to this is not just that this is the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one. We've seen that before, and that's from the baptism. Yeah. But this is slightly different because the voice from heaven, and, and we don't need an announcer to say who this voice from heaven is. We know that this is God. Yeah. But we get something unique that we haven't gotten elsewhere. What this voice is saying and who this voice is speaking to. Hmm. What is a voice saying and who is he speaking to? Yeah, I mean, in, the, I... in the in the baptism, sometimes he says, You are my beloved son. Yeah. Here right. it's this is my beloved son. So he's not talking to Jesus. Who's he talking yeah, he's to? got to be talking to Peter and John and James. Yeah, and what's he telling them? He's like, well, not only he's not only identifying Jesus, but he's also saying to listen, yes. listen to him, listen to him. Yes, and listen to him in the context of this radiance. What's happening mm. here is Jesus is being displayed as the Son of Man. We've seen throughout that he is the son of man and that he says later in the gospels that the son of man will come in all of his glory with his angels and all those sorts of things. Right. And this with his radiance is what he's going to look like. So this is a glimpse, a foretaste Mm. of what Jesus is going to look like. So these three disciples are given a snapshot of Jesus and what he's going to look like in his heavenly glory. And by the way, here is what Elijah and Moses look like. And, and uh, Luke tells us, what are they? Why are they here? They appeared in glory. Hmm. What that means is whatever, the 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 appearance of dead believers looks like prior to receiving resurrection bodies that's what they were he doesn't tell us what that looks like 
He doesn't tell us, you know, what color their hair is or anything like that. This is, they appear in their heavenly existence, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. That's them right there. Somehow, Peter, James, and John recognize them. Yeah. And so this is them and their, their heavenly embodiment or their heavenly experience, whatever that is, at that moment, appearing with Jesus. Jesus is clearly distinct. And Matthew and Mark say that they're talking with Jesus. Yeah. And Luke is the only one who tells us what they're talking about. Yeah. And that's yeah. really, really helpful. Right. They're yeah. speaking about his departure. Right. And this is key. And the word there is his departure, his exodus. Mm. His departure. And what they what they're talking about, which is about to, to accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about, and the disciples have no idea. Even yeah. though Jesus talks about, you know, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things at the hands yeah. of sinners. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be abused. He's going to be raised again from three after three days. And that's what they're ta- that's what Moses and Elijah are talking about with Jesus on this mountain. Yeah. And the disciples are just like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. And but Luke tells us that that's what they are discussing. Now, yeah. the, there's there's discussion about, well, why Moses and why Elijah? What are they doing here? Yeah, that is fascinating. Well, some people think, well, Moses represents the law. Whenever you refer to uh, Moses, you refer to the law. And sometimes that's true. Huh. And then Elijah, well, he must represent the prophets. Like the prophets, yeah. Well, Elijah doesn't usually represent the, and some people think that that these two represent somebody who's expected to come at the end of days. Hmm. Well, Moses was associated with the law. Elijah typically wasn't associated with just the prophets. Right. Moses was sort of a representative of the law. Yeah. But Elijah was thought to come at the end of days. Hmm. Moses wasn't necessarily thought to come at the end of days. So neither one of those paradigms really works. What they do have in common is both of them met with God at the top of a mountain. Oh, And that's what's going on here. Yeah, that's That's true. That's what's going on here. So they're meeting. Yeah. I considered that for Moses because that is kind of a big moment, you know, when he kind of sees uh, God's glory passing. Yeah. Where he kind of glimpses it or whatever it is, you know, and it affects him, you know. I hadn't thought about that for Elijah, though. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so Elijah's meeting meets God at Mount Horeb. So, yeah. um, so there Moses and Elijah they're meeting with him, they're talking, and then Peter and those who are with him were heavy with sleep. When they become fully awake, they see his glory. And again, that's another key. And and the two men who are with him, so they're seeing Jesus in the fullness of his glory. Yeah, this is sort of a. Again, a foretaste of what, wow, this is going to, when Jesus says, you see the Son of Man coming in his glory with his, with the mighty angels, it's like, that's what it's going to look like. And as the men were parting, Moses and Elijah are on their way. I'm, I'm looking at Luke's account. Peter says to Jesus, 
Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Mark says, for he did, know, did not know what to say, for he yeah. was terrified. Yeah. And Luke simply comes right out and says, he simply, Mark says he didn't know what to say. Luke says he actually didn't even know what he was saying. Yeah, it just came out. It just came out. Yeah. Good old ready, fire, aim, Peter. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and what's happening here is actually two two passages from the Old Testament come to mind. And, and one is from the book of Hosea. Hmm. Hosea 12, verse 9. And the other one is from the book of Zechariah. Hosea 12, verse 9. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. And there's another one in Zechariah 14, verses 16 through 20. And so some people think that what, what Peter's doing here is he's anticipating that at the end of days that there was going to be this uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was going to be instituted. Hmm. And that what was happening is that Moses and Elijah were here, suddenly appeared because the, the Feast of Tabernacles that was talked about in these passages was actually coming to be fulfilled, and, or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And Peter was getting ready. Hey, it looks like this Feast of Booths was being set up. Let me get the booths set up for you guys. Right, right. And nobody really answers Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> poor Peter. Um, he does try. He does try. <laughs> and... Verse 34 in Luke's account, as he was saying these things, the cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And so this is, um, this is the same thing. This is like a theophany in the Old Testament mm. when... Um, the cloud, uh, when God speaks from Mount Sinai to Moses. Remember when, um, when the Israelites are at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses is on Mount Sinai and the Israelites are terrified because they know Moses is up there and they just see this cloud envelop the mountain and yeah. everybody's absolutely petrified. And what's yeah. ironic here is that the cloud is both a means of revelation. This mm. is where God discloses something about himself. And it's also some, a means of obscuring. There's mm. something that, that obscures vision. Yeah. So the cloud and the voice are both at Sinai with Moses. This is Exodus yeah. 19 as well as Deuteronomy 5. Um. And again, this is this similar kind of words are are um, 
found at the baptism text in, in all three mm-hmm. uh, synoptics. But but the key here is again, this is my son, and Matthew and Mark say. Uh, the Matthew says, with whom I am well pleased, and that's right from the baptism text. Mm-hmm. Mark says, my beloved. Luke says, my chosen. Yeah. And, and that lines it up directly with Isaiah 42, 1. Mm. My chosen, this is the suffering servant. And yeah. here is the all the bells and whistles. And why is God coming here? Just to say, listen to him, because you're seeing him in his glory, and this is the glory of the Son of Man, but things are not going to look very glorious pretty soon. Because in Mm. Luke's gospel, beginning in chapter 9, verse 51, it's going to start talking about suffering, and it's going to start talking about death. Because before the glory of the resurrection there is the suffering of the passion yeah. narrative. Yeah. So it's going to start looking dark. The, the, the upshot is simply this. Listen yeah. to him very, very carefully because he's going to start talking about suffering and death. And yeah. you see the glory now, and that glory is where things are going to end on the other side. But that glory on the other side comes through the path of suffering death and crucifixion and yeah. then resurrection. Don't forget that as you see this glory right now and this radiance that's making you fall down on your faces and rightly so. And you see Jesus in all of his radiant glory. And that w- is the right way to respond to Jesus. You're seeing him clothed mm-hmm. in the majesty of his glory, the way he really is. But that's not the way it's going to look for the coming weeks leading up to the suffering, death and resurrection. And of course, they still don't get it. But you and I as readers, you and I as readers are shown this this shining, glorious, glowing light coming out of the pages to say it's going to look ugly for the next few pages. But there's glory on the other side. And this is what it looks like. Yeah. 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 It's so fascinating. And it's, it's such a, uh, it's such a powerful bit of, you know, detail that Luke gives us just a few verses earlier with that foreshadow, I think telling us like, this is what Moses and Elijah are talking about, that this process is beginning, you know, they're, they're just hitting it. They don't tell you what it is necessarily, but if you've read through it before, you know, what's coming, or if you've read Matthew, Mark, you know, if you just go through the, the three in order, by the time you got to the section in Luke, you would see, you'd know what the departure even means your first time going through it. Sure, sure. And and Matthew or Mark gives us a little bit of, actually Matthew and Mark give us a little bit of a hint mm. about what this is, uh, are more subtle. Uh, Luke is very explicit. Luke sort of is a bit of an answer key to this. Hmm. But Matthew and Mark both say that they are at the very end in verse nine for both accounts, that they are not to say anything about this until Jesus, the son of man has risen from the dead. Right. That's their way of saying that um, 
this is a vision of the glorious son of man, Hmm. of what things are going to look like, of ultimate vindication and glory. Yeah, That's where this whole thing is going to end. Yeah. So they don't give us all the answers that Luke does, but they give us the hint. Yeah. Of where that's going to go in that little temporal marker at the end. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another interesting part. I mean that it that it does it does say particularly in Matthew and Mark, you know, that they're instructed to be silent. Um but in in Luke it's more just like the voice speaks and then you know they see Jesus is alone after that. And I think that's in all three accounts they kind of notice it's kind of it ends seems kind of sudden that it ends. But but in Luke it just says in thirty six they kept silent and told no no one right what they had seen. Um, but that is that is kind of interesting that Matthew Mark gets a little bit more explicit of like Jesus telling them don't say it right. Yeah, and also it it is telling in Matthew and Mark that Jesus frequently predicts his resurrection from the dead, and now he's actually mm-hmm. giving them instructions for you know. He's making plans for his disciples about what to do. It's such a certain thing that mm-hmm. we you can talk about this. Oh, yeah. When can we talk about this? How about Tuesday? Well, how about Sunday afternoon? You can talk about this Sunday afternoon. What's so right. special about Sunday afternoon? Well, I'm going to die on Friday. Yeah. Sunday morning, I'll raise again. And that's when yeah. you can talk about it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's using it as a temporal marker for when they can mm. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a point they're supposed to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, it, it's, if we keep going in Matthew and Mark, that's kind of the end of the the narrative in a sense. But it, there is a, a follow up kind of in Matthew Mark where they talk a little bit more about Elijah, and that was a that was a question I kind of had because in in Matthew, as you go a little bit further, there's this identification between uh, John the Baptist and Elijah. Uh, and so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that, because I, I thought that was a fascinating. It's fascinating that they've just seen Elijah and it seems like as they're coming down and they're talking about it, there's like this connection to, well, what are, I, I guess my question is like, what did they really see back then, back there on the mountain? Did they really see Elijah and this kind of connection between John the Baptist and Elijah that Jesus mentions in Matthew? Is that is that like metaphorical or is that kind of like, representative in some kind of way what what exactly is happening there uh let's see so you're talking about so we're in matthew 17 yeah in verse 10 the disciples asked him then why do the scribes say the first elijah must come and he answered elijah does come and he will restore all things but i tell you that elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased so also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands, which I thought that's kind of an interesting thing too. You get that suffering particularly mm-hmm. right there. And then in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Right. So your question is, how could, how could Elijah have appeared on the mountain when Elijah was John the Baptist? Yeah. What's, what, what's, what's happening there? Or how are yeah. those two things related? I don't think... Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think that John the Baptist was Elijah. Mm-hmm. I think John the Baptist was coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. In other words, right. I don't think that, so uh, he's not intended to be the person of Elijah himself. Yeah. So 
He's filling a role or something. He's filling like that. a role that when 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 the Old Testament talks about you will see Elijah come back, it's not saying the same Elijah. It's saying yeah. someone someone is going to come in a, in a role of Elijah, and that's yeah. going to be a sign to you that the end of days is coming and that the Messiah is coming. And and John the Baptist filled that role. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense to me because that, that kind of makes a little bit more concrete, I guess. I just noticed that as kind of a fascinating, you know, they're all up there and they're, they see Elijah and Moses. And as they're coming down, they're kind of asking like, How, uh, what just happened, I think, you know? Yeah. Like, is that supposed to be Elijah coming back? Or did we just see that or something? And, and I think Jesus is kind of saying that, that kind of like you just said, it's like well, John the Baptist was kind of filling that functional um, Elijah role and that's already happened. Well, yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I think, uh, I think now I understand what you're asking. Um, they, in verse nine of Matthew chapter 17, uh, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. And I think their question in verse 10, the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? I don't think their question pertains to, hey, didn't didn't we just see Elijah on the mountain? Mm. Um, I think their question pertains to Jesus saying that the Son of Man needs to be raised from the dead, and they're identifying that that with a messianic task. I see. And they're they're understanding, hey, if you're doing something that's that's messianic, isn't Elijah supposed to come first? Yeah. And he's saying, uh, because the scribes are saying Elijah's supposed to come first, and Jesus is saying, Well, the scribes are right, Elijah was supposed to come first, and Elijah did come first. The problem is people missed it, and it was John the Baptist. Yeah. Does that there put together go. what you were asking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I, you know, it's it's interesting. These three passages they do line up so closely. Um, I mean, just like you said, kind of at the beginning, it's it's very obvious that it's the same thing. But it uh, one of the things that I or two of the things that I kind of noticed that were slightly different that I, I thought maybe we could talk about. One we already hit when we t- we saw the difference in um, uh, God's voice, basically when He says like a "chosen one" or "beloved son." This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, so uh, that we kind of hit, we talked a little bit about, especially in Luke, like how that kind of fits in the Luke narrative. But the other thing that it was a little different that I thought was interesting was there's fear in all of these, but it kind of happens at different spots. So in, in Matthew there, uh, it seems like it's in response to the voice, right? In verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. In Mark, it's when... Uh, well, you kind of get it. It may just be about, does it, does it say specifically it's about just Peter or is it for all of the stuff? It's when he's, he offers to kind of build the tents. So let's see. Yeah. In verse six. Yeah. Um, they were terrified. Okay. Yeah. So it is, it's all of them. And then in, and then well, in Luke, it's all it's of them in response inner, to seeing it. It seems like they yeah. were, uh, it was in response to what they had seen. Right. Right. And then in Luke, it's close to Matthew's. But it's like when they entered the cloud, they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So, you know, we talked a little bit about something similar when we were looking at the uh, the calming of the storm, you know, that like, well, it, it probably 
took place over quite a long period of time. So like how many things did Jesus say? He probably said all these things at different periods, yeah, you know, quite, you know. quite a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And it would totally make sense for people to be afraid throughout this whole process. Yeah. But I just thought that was fascinating. I wonder if you could speak into that at all about why is this deep detail being put in in different sections? Is that to kind of bring out a specific point in each narrative? It is, it's common in the Bible in, in theophanies, meaning when, when God appears, whether it is the voice of God, whether it is the cloud in the Old Testament, or whether it is Jesus doing something in a manner that displays that he is God for people to respond rightly in fear. Uh, fear is a is an appropriate response to the holiness of God for believers, for Christians too. Yeah. What I mean by that is even, and, and I might be getting somewhat off track, but so bring me back in when I finish this. I'm also thinking of like the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. Hmm. Remember when that whole story they're giving everybody's giving money and everybody shares everything in common. And, right. you know, they, they had, everybody was willingly giving it, giving their money and putting it at the apostles feet. And, and, and Peter says that they lied to the Holy spirit. They, they were lying to the church about what they had given. They said, yeah, yeah this is everything. And they withheld some. And mm -hmm. the problem wasn't necessarily that they withheld some, but they were deceptive about what they were doing and yeah. they, they fell dead. And I, I think Ananias and Sapphira were believers. There's nothing mm. in the text that says that they were not Christians. Right. But look at the response of the church to that event. And a great fear fell over all the saints mm. over what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, fear is a right response to the holiness of God for believers. And so yeah. I think that the way that the gospel authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit present this is the disciples are encountered with the voice from heaven speaking about the nature of this person that they've spent time with and, and disclosing to them something that they knew something about before. But now they're hearing it from what can only be uh, from the voice from heaven that appears to them in a cloud that they instinctively and culturally recognize mm. that they know what a voice from a cloud means. They don't have to have yeah. somebody explain that to them. Yeah. And they're, they're on a mountain, all that, those bells and whistles are all coming on to them. Um, they don't require any, any explanation and, and they know the proper response. And so, and I think that, that, that kind of physical response communicates something to the readers yeah. uh, of, of the reverence that they are relating to us and also of, of what that is communicating about the message of this passage, hmm. uh, that the disciples are to listen to Jesus and that we are to listen to Jesus, that we're to listen yeah. to what he's, he is instructing to the disciples and yeah. that we we are to listen to that too, and yeah. that Jesus' path was suffering, and that he instructing his disciples that their path will be suffering, and for the twelve, their path was also suffering historically, mm. and and for us, 
Uh, if our path, it, it's strange sometimes that for us as Christians and for, for probably for some of the listeners to this podcast, we, we somehow treat it as strange whenever we suffer for our faith. Like, what's going on here? That's mm. not the way things are supposed to be. Yeah. And Jesus tells his disciples plainly that, that part of what it means to follow me is to suffer. Yeah. And the apostle Peter, and I, I can't remember if it's first or second Peter says, you, you shouldn't treat it as something abnormal if you suffer for being a Christian. Right. That, that's a calling. That's a normal lot of a Christian. That's just part of what yeah. it means to be a disciple. So when we see that, the voice from heaven is speaking to us saying, listen to him. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you, as we were kind of walking through that or starting to talk through, I was like, I, I feel like I should ask him, you know, we, we always talk about uh, not skipping too quickly to the application, you know, understand the passage. And I was, I was going to ask you what that may be in this passage is I felt like we we're getting close to, but I think you just kind of said it, you know, that we're suffering is a part of this, uh, this life. I mean, is there anything else you'd say uh, to, for a way to understand this? Because I think you kind of wrapped it up really, really nicely there. But if there's anything else you want to say. I think that's really it. And I also think that heating, uh, suffering, suffering is part of it. But also, I think attending to the words of Jesus yeah, carefully. To listen. To listen and to listen carefully and to listen obediently. Yeah. And to listen with fear and reverence. Mm. And to listen in a manner that that pushes out competing voices in our minds and hearts. Mm. You know, if, if fear if, will do that, if if you're yeah, and and it should do that. We have influences and you know, popular culture, books, media, social media, all kinds of things that we allow to influence in our lives, and we choose to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we have billboards and we, we complain about what's on TV and what's in movies and things like that. But we make choices about what we what we choose to influence. But but if yeah. we if we we've been told by the words on these pages that there is a voice from heaven that is speaking down to the disciples and it speaks to us today um, with a with a reaction that causes fear and trembling for these men who whatever else you have to say about Peter, uh, he's not timid. And he doesn't lack courage, so mm. he's not. His fear is not because he's a wimp, right? Uh, it's, it's there's something else going on there. Yeah. If if there's a vo if there's a cloud that envelops us and a voice that speaks from heaven when we're on our devices or thinking about the influences in our lives, uh, in the choices that we make, I think that can help us to stay on the pretty straight and narrow to do what is pleasing unto the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think it's a good uh, wrap up for this uh, for this episode. Thanks for uh, walking us through this passage. I'm looking forward to talking about the next one. My pleasure. <laughs>